Yes, this is um, my first time since lockdown, so a few months, so it's, it's great to be back and strange to think that I'm going to be watched live elsewhere. I think that's never happened to me before. That's very interesting. Um, we're continuing our, our sermon series on um, discipleship from a distance, and this is number five out of six. And as we've been discussing, discipleship is simply being a student or an apprentice. I like the word apprentice. It has a real practical feel of following Jesus in the ways that he would live his life if he was living our life. And um, I think Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson, wrote a great book on discipleship called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's not the most catchiest title, I always think, in our society. They're not words that long obedience in the same direction. But I think that's what we've been really trying to put forward with, with this discipleship. It's not about the destination, as Dillis reminded us last week, but it's about the direction, about what we're facing. And we've also been looking at this idea of distance. Of course, this letter written by St. Paul in Rome is writing this letter from a distance in his own lockdown, rather in, in a house arrest or in a Roman prison, to his friends, to his brothers and sisters in Christ in the Greek city of Philippi out in uh, eastern Greece. So he was from a distance. But I think with a distance as well, like we heard from Phil McKinley, that distance allows us to step back and gives us perspective as well. And in some ways, this letter and, and, and the, the things we've brought out from it, from the teaching team, it showed us the bigger picture, the kind of what I would call the higher truths of what discipleship is. Rob started the, the series with this idea that discipleship is about partnership with God. Sometimes we can think that discipleship is all about, you know, project self if I do all these amazing things, if I life hack my spirituality, if I listen to the great podcasts and sermons and bullet journal, do all these things, I will become this great disciple. But what a burden that is. And what a lovely reminder at the very start of this key aspect of discipleship, that he who began a good work in you, not you didn't start this good work in you, God started it. We'll complete it. He'll complete it to, until the day of Jesus Christ. And then Scott spoke, Evan spoke about the, the foundational virtue, what it means to follow Jesus of humility. And I thought it was a brilliant sermon about what it meant that why humility is so important because it's connected, as he said, to our identity, to who we believe ourselves to be and what we believe are, we are worth. True humility begins with knowing our own worth and value and belonging and then bestowing it on others. I don't know about you, but when somebody is so humble, they're the most easiest people to be around. And they're the best encouragers. I always feel people who withhold their encouragement, it's probably because of their own insecurities. And then Rob reminds us again on, on Sermon 3 by pressing on. Again, in discipleship, sometimes we can stumble by looking back. We get reminded of the shame and the guilt and things in our past or things we've relied upon. But decided that discipleship is a continual sense of change and growth and pressing on and not perfection, but persevering. And then Dillis spoke last week on what it meant that discipleship is really about following tangible examples, about living a life that is transparent and honest. How convicting is that to tell, invite people into your life to ask them, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? And through that, it is so powerful. I think, again, Eugene Peterson spoke about discipleship in isolation. It doesn't work. Discipleship has to be in community. Being aloof from one another, being hyper-independent will not mean we grow. And so today then, what other key pieces that is Paul trying to remind us of what it means to follow Jesus? And he says that he's wanting to emphasize that if we want to continue to grow as disciples, we need to learn how to deal with worry and anxiety. He says here, you know, that he tells us, don't worry about anything. 
kind of a crazy statement, the world we live in. We worry about lots of things. What's this idea of not worrying about anything? And some other crazy preacher says, called Jesus says, don't worry about anything as well. And we read this, the, the, the passage we read today on the parable of the sower. And I think this is a great, all the different aspects of growth and the, the problems and the obstacles to, to transformation and change. And it's really interesting, the one with the sower who sowed the soil, but thorns came up, weeds came up. And, and Jesus defined this as two things, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares and worries of this world. The problem with kind of worry is that it strangles and it chokes the life of the spirit in us. If we live in a constant state of anxiety, of preoccupation, of restlessness, if our lifestyle is full of stress, it will choke these things, just like those thorns did. It'll rob us of joy and our peace. It'll stop us from loving others. When you're overwhelmed with your own worries and your own difficulties, you don't have the space or capacity to love other people. And if you're overwhelmed and worried about somebody in your life, you don't have the space or capacity to to care for yourself. You know, it deadens our appetites for growth. It distracts us, all these worries, from, from less urgent but more important things. I don't know about you, when you're in a stress-filled life of, of just normal things of life or very serious things, it's very hard to kind of settle and even pray or even read your Bible when these worries are here. It can be very difficult. And worry is not based on circumstances. It's circumstances plus how we perceive those circumstances. Um, a Harvard professor wrote a really good book on worry called Ed Holloway had this sort of um, formula of what worry really is. It's, it's increased vulnerability plus decreased sense of control. And, and I think it really made sense to me that in our times when we felt with the peak of the coronavirus, we all felt a bit more vulnerable and we didn't really have much control. But other kind of foreign diseases, I don't feel much control of, I don't feel much vulnerable by it. But it's how we perceive these things, what, what makes worry in our lives. Really important as well is this idea of not judging one another or ourselves worry. They're so laid back, you think they should do it a bit of worry. I find often in, in the work I do with couples, usually it's one person in the couple that takes on the worry, so the other person doesn't have to worry about these things. And so we all have a baseline of worry. Some people are more laid back than other people, and it's important for the person who has a tendency to worry not feel guilt or shame. Look at that person so laid back and chilled out. They must be really following Jesus. But I, I've been reflecting that, that we all have our struggles in our life. And, and we all have our issues that kind of come at us all the time. Like one of my ones, which is most, I think one of the strangest ones, is sometimes just doubt God. I sometimes even doubt, probably less so now, but it still comes at me at times, doubting even the existence of God sometimes. Like, where did that come from? But I know that that doubt, if I pursue that, it'll search into apologetics, search into contemplative prayer, reach out to community, and I go deeper again. So you guys who maybe have worry as a, as a problem or a difficulty, are we okay or are we off? Yeah, we're okay. The sounds up. We're coming through. <laughs> Grand. Um, I won't worry too much about this. But if if we, um, but but I think it's even the things that we struggle with. Even if you struggle with worry, it's an opportunity to go deeper with God. So almost our weaknesses become our strengths. It becomes that motivation, that energy to keep going, to keep going. Do let us know if if I need to do anything here. The thing about worry as well, it's not the presence of worry, but the power. That's at stake of the worry. What power we let in. I was, uh, when we moved into our house about five years ago, I was worked on our, our garden at the front. Just all I wanted was just nice grass. 
So I spent night after night digging up roots, digging up stones, and beautiful soil. Spent probably a year raking and blowing and got very obsessed with it. And then the grass seeds started growing, and then I became that, that crazy man I didn't think I would be go, kids, get off the grass, and even birds, get off the grass seed. I actually became like that. And I had lovely grass for about a year. And then weeds came up out of nowhere, and I dug them up and put a bit of roundwood, but don't tell anyone you're not meant to do that anymore. And, uh, but what I realized was now, like, the grass is awful. There's just weeds everywhere, and I just cut it short. But weeds, like worries, are inevitable in our lives. But it's making sure that they don't grow to a point that they choke the life of spirit in us. So Paul gives us three really helpful things of how to deal with worry, which I'll go through quickly. The first, you know, he says here, you know, the Lord is near and then goes on, you know, pray, present your, pray to God, present your requests, your petitions to God, praise him, give him thanksgiving, and the peace of God will come and guard your heart and your mind. So number one, don't worry alone. Don't, most powerful things in my work when people that I work with can just express and share their worries. You know, prayer is, I used to think maybe I had this hierarchy of prayer that prayer alone with God was more sort of spiritual than praying with other people because I don't know, I had that weird idea. Maybe when I prayed with people, it was almost like I could give a dig, like I pray for this person for more patience or, uh, or, or, I, or, or I back on a compliment, thank this Lord, he was so good. And I kind of got distracted, but I realized that when we gather in a community with two or three gathered in your name, I'm in the midst. So whether we pray alone or pray together, don't worry alone. And the Lord is near. That is the key for me when I think about prayer now, is presence. Just simply being in the presence of someone that is at peace can just lighten that worry. And the God of peace, just to be in the presence, to be still as we've sung about here, the Lord is near. Petition or supplication. Be specific about your worries. God's inviting us to make a list to break them down, break these worries down to little bits and pieces, manageable chunks, and pray to God for them. I really find if I break specific things down, I really get a sense that God answers these prayers. Sort of vague prayers will give you vague answers, will give you a vague sense of God's around. But specific prayers will give you specific answers and have your faith more specific and stronger. Praise, thanksgiving, being grateful. Worship reminds us the great perspective, like we worship today again today, just gives us that perspective that transcends all our rational understanding. Doesn't, it's not irrational, it's not rational, it's transrational. We realize that problems we might have, worries we might have might be big, but God is bigger than all those problems. And protection. I sometimes think about it, and as, Peter, um, as Phil McKinley spoke about, this idea of home of our hearts, that worries can sometimes like be one that knocks on our doors. And we'll always have these knocks on our doors of hearts. Can I come in? We let the worry in. They make a cup of tea in our hearts. Try and get them out. But before we know it, they're running our homes. They're worrying us all the time. But we've got this bouncer called the peace of God that can protect us and guard our hearts and our minds. Say, no, not today. Not today. The second thing, so don't worry alone. Pray. Second is don't try harder. Think better. The worst thing you can do for a worrier is tell them not to worry so Paul realized that, yes, he kind of starts with that. It's like an invitation. Don't worry, but here I'm going to tell you how to do it. Whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, is there any excellent, anything worthy of praise? Think about such things. I found I got into the habit of thinking, or I don't know if it was just consuming information. At six o'clock, 
I get out my phone, RTE, what's the coronavirus update? Every day, I got kind of obsessed with numbers. And then I'd flick over to BBC, and what is Trump saying? They're all kind of my two weird patterns. And yes, it's important to be informed, but if we have this sort of daily rhythm of taking in all this information, we can become conformed to the anxieties of this world. And we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I was also thinking about, do we actually think much these days, or do we just consume information? And this idea of stillness and space is so important to allow us to think. We're crowded with information, stressed with hurry. We often don't think. And we, I'm in a community group, worship community group, that Sherry leads amazingly on Zoom. It's been such a blessing, Sherry. And she spoke about this idea of really thinking and seeing from Richard Rohr. He says this, you know, we need to learn to have a long, loving look at the real. It's too often our thought life, I don't even think, we just skim. This idea, but to think deeply. To, and Jesus says that when he talks about worry. Consider the lilies. Consider deep things and really consider that. Look at the leaf. A long, loving look at scripture. Sit with it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, grand, grand. What's next information? What's the next thing going on? A long, loving look at something like that can be just so deep. And that begins, I think, as we think, these things begin to reveal. The beauty of that begins to reveal. The beauty of that, the power of that, the truth of that becomes. Nature, poetry, whatever. Great freedom, but also great responsibility to not just try not to worry, but think differently. And those worries will become smaller in the perspective of how we think. And finally, don't avoid, take small steps. Paul says here, keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the peace of God will be with you. Or in the NIV says, put them into practice. For some of us, worries come in different ways. For some of us, it's worries or anxieties. That's something we know we should do, but we're really scared of it. One of the things that really scares me is often when I have, have to have a difficult conversation with a family member or a friend, but I know it's important to, to do conflict well and to say these things. Maybe that's something that we need to do today, one of us, to take that step. We know one of the things that psychologists say the worst thing you can do with some anxiety is that tell them to avoid the thing that's causing the anxiety. The opposite is you've got to take small little steps facing that dragging, facing that worry. And Paul says that, you know, act it out, talk it out, work it out, not just talk about it, to talk it out. King in church, tiny little steps along the way. This doesn't just happen overnight. I was worried and anxious. The work I do with families in conflict, I hate conflict. And yet I'm stepping into that more and more because God works so subtly. But when we look back, we can see him moving. And one of the things that really can help us with our anxieties is what I call a develop a spiritual history in your life of where God has come from. Stop and reflect. That's what the children of Israel did. It's like, Jimmy Mac, we're in a loose end. God, where are you? Remind, remember, God, you did this 100 years ago. Remember you did that. We need to remind, develop that spiritual history that we can go back to and go, God did this. But we can't develop that spiritual history if we continue to avoid things that God's calling us to do because of worry and anxiety. But if we step out, God steps in. Yes, I got something else in my history that I can learn, remind myself of God's faithfulness in times of difficulty. So we'll finish, begin to finish that now, and maybe I'll invite you to come up in a minute. Um, you know, come up now, sorry, yeah. And, but in this, Paul repeats this idea of that the peace of God will come to you. And for me, the peace of God is both a gift and a fruit. In Galatians, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It takes process. It takes a lifestyle of growing this fruit in our lives. 
keeping an eye out on those thorns of worry that could come up and choke. But also, fruit is a gift in, in John. For, us, that for both those, the gift of peace today, the Holy Spirit, like Jesus did, breathed on his friends and family. He says, I give you the peace of the Spirit now. And I just pray thou, that you, Holy Spirit, the people are watching in their homes and they're driving, traveling around or us in this church building, that we get a sense of that gift that you can give us, of that peace that transcends all our understandings, that goes beyond all our circumstances, that peace that will blow through the storms in our lives, that peace that will just give us that calm security today. I pray for that now in your name, Jesus, that that gift of your peace, I pray we will receive it now into our hearts. And I also pray for the fruit of peace in our lives. Teach us and show us how to create lifestyles and rhythms that we can turn to you to pray, that we don't need to worry alone, that we can learn new ways of thinking and ordering our lives so that we can think of things that lift us up, that helps to transform us by the renewing of our mind. And I pray if you're calling us to walk out on water or you're calling us into new things, that we wouldn't anxiety and worry wouldn't hold us back, but we take those steps and we learn in great, great blessing from that in your name. So pray for your peace come and pray for those weeds and those thorns that you would allow us to keep an eye on them and allow the fruit of your spirit to grow. In your name, Jesus. Amen.